All right, I'm going to ask you a straightforward question. That's for people in the room, but also for those of you playing along at home. And it's not a rhetorical question. It's simple. It's straightforward. It's a question I think that we've all been asked and we've asked and is in the front on everyone's mind. What do you want for Christmas? Now, some people are good at answering that question. Some people are bad at answering that question, but it's not a rhetorical question. So I saw a hand go up. Uh, Jonah, what do you want for Christmas? Legos. Legos. He wants some Legos for Christmas. Do you get them already? You don't have to wait till Christmas morning? Okay, we're going to have to talk to your parents, man. You should, you, should, you should be. I'm sure there's some waiting for you tomorrow. I'm sure. I'm sure. That's the case. I'm absolutely sure of it. All right. Uh, George, what do you want for Christmas, man? Tesla. Tesla. He wants a Tesla. He's been good this year, too. Like, because we've all seen the car commercials. They put the bow on the car. That happens a lot in real life. And I, I like the one where the couple, there's two cars, and like she picks the one that he thought was for him. Who hasn't done that, right? <laughs> Who hasn't had two cars sitting out, and there's bows, and who's for what? Dad, what do you want for Christmas? Uh, a row bike. A row bike. What is a row bike? Oh, you row and bike at the same time. Oh, a road bike. I thought you said a row bike, and it sounds real, but a road bike. Do you have any bikes yet? He has a few bikes, but he's got to add. A man cannot have too many bikes if we've learned anything in, 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 in 2020. But no, a road bike, another bike. This is, and, and, and I'm not to, uh, you know, I'm kind of roasting people out there, but it's like truly, if 2020 I think has taught us anything, it's okay to just ask for what we want, to name what we want. Um, because life, we've learned, is short. And there's a lot of things that we take for granted. And, and I would be a hypocrite if I didn't tell you what I wanted for Christmas, which I got. It was a Christmas miracle. So what I wanted for Christmas was a sauna tent, not a sauna tent, a sauna tent. That's how they say it in Finnish. So it's real. A sauna tent, and it came all the way from Russia. Started this week in Ekaterinburg, city famous, infamous, actually. It's where the... Uh, the Tsar Nicholas's family met their untimely demise. Uh, uh, but uh, it, so it was where their winter palace was, I believe. And so uh, Ekaterinburg, Russia, to my doorstep today. So I will be sweating out all of the um, awfulness that is this year tomorrow in my sauna tent. I can't wait. And so the passage I'm going to preach on today, it's a familiar one. And, and, and it just so happens to be the one that my son Kyle just read. Um, uh, from Matthew chapter 1. And, and let me just say as an aside that all the readers are great. Of course, you know, the adult readers were great. We're used to having great adult readers here at the church, but I'm so proud of the kids for reading the Christmas story. And it fills me, it's such joy. I take such pride and joy just seeing them do this. And so um, for you kids out there, thank you for doing this. And please know that it was a wonderful gift um, to me and to this church to hear you reading this story of the birth of Christ our King. I think it helped us hear it in, in a new way, and I hope you heard it in a new way too. But this is, of course, the story of, of, of the wise men, of the, the Magi coming from the east who followed the star of Bethlehem. And coincidentally, if you follow the news this past week, there was some, some news about the Christmas star, so-called, that, that appeared, I can't remember when, but uh, it was the conjunction of uh, Jupiter and Saturn in the night sky. And this is something that occurred in, I think, three times, actually, I read somewhere in the year 7 B.C., um, leading some scholars to speculate as to whether this was what the, the wise men saw that drew them to 
Jerusalem to look for this one who would be born king of the Jews, and, and uh, Saturn represented royalty, and, and Jupiter, I believe, I might have it backwards, uh, one of them represented the Jews, and so it would make sense if I saw those two stars that they would go, uh, they would go to that country, but that's, you know, speculation. But it's interesting that this phenomenon that may have had something to do with our passage today happened to occur this past week. But whatever the case may be, there's actually, and this is, we're getting bonus material for the 10 p.m. service. Earlier it was three sets of three. Well, it's four sets of three things that I want us to look at. And it's not long, but it's really an interesting way to look at this passage um, that are going to teach us about what, what we really, 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 really want for Christmas at the end. We're going to see that. Because um, it's the, the wise men who, they, 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 they present the Christ child with these three gifts. And so it's them who really instituted the practice of gift giving on Christmas. And so all of us who are children or are children at heart, we have them to thank. We should be thankful that the wise men did this. Because, because what they did, you're getting Legos today, or you got Legos today. It's a beautiful thing. So there's the three responses to Jesus. There's actually the three ways of coming to know Jesus, the three gifts, and then the three things that Jesus gives to us. So first, these three responses to Jesus, and it's represented by, we see Herod and the chief priests and, 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 and the magi. Those are th- representative three types of responses to Jesus today. So first, there's Herod, who responds to the news of Jesus' birth with fear and with hatred. Now, this makes sense because the Magi come and they say, we're looking for the one who, who, who's born king of the Jews. And Herod goes, well, I am King Herod. We already have a king of the Jews. And Herod was known as, as, as paranoid. He, his desire was to hold on to his position um, in, in, in his kingdom for as long as possible. And, and there's a reason he was called Herod the Great. He ruled for decades and decades in an era where being royalty often came with a short lifespan. Herod was, was brutal and cunning and calculating. Um, and, and he had this reputation for brutality and for suspicion. He, he even went so far as to kill one of his wives and his mother-in-law. And, you know, insert joke here, uh, because he was suspicious they were going to betray him. And he even had two of his sons, two of his own sons, put to death because he was worried that they were going to be rivals for his throne, and they were going to kill him. And it was a, a saying in Rome in that day, and it's a pun in Greek, but I can't convey it in English, so you're going to have to take my word for it, that it was better to be one of Herod's pigs than Herod's sons, which in and of itself is an insult, because he's Jewish, he's king of the Jews, he's not supposed to be having pigs. But it was better to be one of his pigs than his sons. And so Herod responds to this news of Jesus, you know, not with joy or expectation or excitement, but, 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 but with a plot to find out when this happened so he can go into Bethlehem and wipe out all of the male children of around a certain age. So there's still people who respond to Jesus in this way with hatred and fear. I think of certain, you know, authoritarian governments in this world today where Christianity is brutally repressed. But I think truly there's a part in many of us that also rebels against Christ being Lord of our lives because we're afraid of what he's going to take from us. We could lose face in a situation. We could lose freedom to live our lives however we want. 
We could lose, you know, people considering us, uh, you know, a right-thinking kind of person who always holds the, the correct opinions uh, that are, you know, consistent with the spirit of this age. We're afraid of losing our self-centeredness. We hate the thought that Jesus might, might come and he might take some of these things away from us. We think that if, if we claim his, him as Lord of our lives, we're going to lose something. He's going to take something from us. Now, then there are those who respond like the chief priests and the legal experts. Now, these were the religious elite. They lived in Jerusalem. They, they oversaw worship in the temple. Uh, they studied the, the, the scriptures. They were experts in the law. They knew everything there was to know. They were the, you know, biblical scholars, the, the tall steeple pastors. And they respond to this news about, about a birth of a, of a king with utter indifference they didn't care. So they hear this news, the Magi come, Herod inquires, they go, where is the Messiah to be born? And, and they come up with the correct answer. They, they read the Bible, they know the Bible, they give the correct answer, Bethlehem of Judah. So they know the answer based on what Scripture says, but they don't even do anything about it. And Bethlehem is not even five miles from Jerusalem. And maybe they're skeptical and they go, we don't know who these wise men from the East are. What are they talking about? But they don't even bother to go check it out for themselves. I think that's telling. These men who had spent their whole lives in worship, studying Scripture, you know, focused on the things of God. They're too busy, you know, with ministry and, and, and maintaining what they've always done, their position, to even bother to check it out. They were indifferent they're apathetic. There's no pathos. There's no passion in these people at all. Now, I think there are many more people who fall into this camp than the Herod camp. Especially, you know, if we're Christians, especially if we're professional Christians, like uh, I'm a professional Christian, Matt's a professional Christian, we get paid to do this stuff. It's an occupational hazard for us, but any serious Christian, it can become an occupational hazard that we can become so focused on, on ministry, so focused on doing religious stuff that we miss out completely on what God is doing in the world. So there's plenty of, you know, Christian people who fall in that camp, but there's also plenty of people who don't consider themselves Christians who are apathetic, could care less. Who, who, who just don't care. They, they live purely in what uh, the, the philosopher of religion, uh, Charles Taylor, he's called the imminent frame, meaning there's nothing transcendent in people's perspective uh, or outlook on the world. It, you know, it's just the here and now. They don't bother to give a second thought of God. So there's hatred and fear with Herod. There's indifference and apathy with the chief priests. But then there's the Magi, who respond by going to worship. And the Magi, these are, these are some strange characters. They just kind of show up out of nowhere in the Bible, and then they leave off the scene. We never hear anything about them or their ilk anymore. And so there's a lot of debate. Who are they? Are they astrologers? Are they magicians? Are they Zoroastrian fire priests? Who are they? No one, no one knows who they are. We just know that they came from the east we know that they're outsiders, they're Gentiles. They're not the kind of people you expect to show up looking for the Messiah. And yet they're the only ones in this story who are seeking an earnest and genuine encounter with Christ. 
And so the Christmas story then, it invites us to be like them, to respond like them, to, to come from wherever, however far off we are from God right now, whatever direction we're in, to, 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 to earnestly seek and approach the one, this one, so that we might encounter the one who is genuinely worthy of worship. Well, this is a bonus material, I promised everyone. And, 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 but this is the three fascinating ways we see the three ways of knowing Jesus, of coming to know Him. We might call these three kinds of, of revelation whereby we come to know God. So first there's how the magi come to know Jesus. How do they come to Him? A star. We would call this uh, natural revelation. This is just kind of the knowledge of God that we can come by and just looking out in the world. This is what Paul talks about in Romans 1. He says, Every, no one has excuse when it comes to, you know, God. Because you just look at the world and, 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 and almost innate in every single human person and, and, and for sure every single human culture is some sense of God, some sense of the divine, some, some, some sense of the transcendent or the, or the supernatural. We see this, you know, anthropologists, historians see this across the world, across culture. This sense of God is a, is a higher power you know, a creator, the one who is behind the laws of nature, the first mover, you know, that set everything else in motion, the mind behind the cosmos and all of the order that we see, the artist who is behind the, the infinite creativity and diversity that we see, not just on earth, but, 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 but in, in this great wide big universe we live in, the living spirit that seems to inhabit and bind all things together. This sort of sounds like the Force and Jedi now, but it's, it's out there, you know? So natural revelation, it's available to everyone. We see that with the Magi. But we also see that it only gets you so far. How far does this natural revelation get the Magi? It gets them to Jerusalem. But Jesus isn't there. It only got them to where they'd expect to meet a king. And so natural revelation, what we learn from this, it's powerful, but it's limited. To actually get to Bethlehem, they need something else. They need special revelation. They need Scripture. And this is the second mode of God's revelation. It's in Scripture that the religious scholars uncover the words of, of, of Micah 5.2, that the Christ child is going to be born in, in Bethlehem. And so nature, then it gives us this general idea of God. But Scripture discloses to us who God actually is and what God actually wants us to do. But even Scripture wasn't enough because the last way of knowing God that we see in our passage is, is a, a meeting with Him in the person of Jesus Christ. God's ultimate self-revelation, who alone is the living Word. Because the truth is, and we've seen this too many times, we can have all the biblical knowledge we want, right? We can know it backwards and forwards. We can know God's written word. You know, we can have it memorized, but not know Jesus. We can have all the scripture that we like and, and not personally encounter its author. Jesus says in, in John, he says, you search the scriptures diligently because you believe in them you have eternal, in, eter in them you have eternal life. He says, the scriptures point to me. That very principle, it's right there in this passage, right there in Matthew. So these are the three ways that we come to know God. Nature, scripture, and Jesus. 
Now next, there's the three gifts, the Magi give, and what those teach us about who Jesus is and what he came to do. First gift, gold. A gift that is fit for a king. This confirms our most basic confession of Christian faith. Jesus is Lord. He is king, as Kanye West said. Meaning he's Lord over all creation. He's Lord over my life. The next gift is frankincense. And right there in the name frankincense is the word incense. And this incense is something, it's an aromatic that you would burn at the temple as part of worship. And so that speaks to the fact that Jesus is our priest. He's the one who reconciles us to God. He's the one who makes atonement for us. He's the one who continues to pray for us at the right hand of the Father. And this third gift is myrrh. And it was a very valuable substance that was associated with the embalming of bodies. So, and so it had to do with death and funerals. And so with this gift, we see pointers that Jesus, this child, is going to die for us and for our salvation. And so he, he, he's the king who we see is going to be crowned with thorns. He's going to be thrown on a cross. He's going to be laid in a tomb. And I said there were three gifts, but I, I lied. There's actually a fourth gift. And it's their worship. The Magi bow down, they worship, they pay him homage. And that's the one gift that they gave to Jesus that we can still offer him today. The gift of our hearts, our affections, our wills, our desires, our minds saying to Jesus with all that we have and all we, that we are, you are worthy, you're worth it. Because you're the one who came to, to rescue us, to heal us, to liberate us from the power of sin and death. And Chesterton says, and it's true, he says, Christianity makes this absolutely outlandish claim that Jesus is going to be honored as a king. He's going to be worshipped as a god. And he's going to die like a man. And that's the beautiful paradox of Christmas, which is the paradox of Christianity. And now last, there's the three gifts that Jesus can give to these three different groups we see represented in our passage, if only they would receive it from him. You know, Herod, what does he want? He wants power. He wants security. He wants status. He wants to matter. And he's going to do whatever he wants to, to make a name for himself and secure his place. But that significance that he so desires can only truly be his because Jesus has come down from heaven for us because the king of heaven came down for us, for him. And the priests, they wanted a genuine encounter with God and, and, they, and they wanted it, they, they were so busy and distracted that they missed out when God moved into the neighborhood. So for those who desire to meet God in the most real and personal way possible, Jesus gives us, he gives them that gift. And now what did the Magi want? You know, I said they're kind of these strange figures. We don't really know who they are, but we know that they represented people who sought wisdom and learning. They were the most learned men of their age. And so they wanted this wisdom. And so uh, they looked up into the heavens. Uh, they were astronomers and astrologers. Astronomers means they followed the movement of the stars. And they were astrologers because they tried to apply that to some kind of sense of what was going on in the world because they were searching for the meaning of life and of existence. And they wanted the wisdom that came from that. And that's what led them to Jesus. 
And so when Jesus, they got this message that you no longer need to look to the heavens to try to figure out what the point of everything is because heaven has come down to us. All you have to do is receive it. And Jesus shows us when our, our, our human knowledge, which is vast, but it, it, it's limited in the sense that it, it comes to its end. It cannot provide us with the meaning and purpose we seek. And so I close with this, you know, this question I asked at the beginning, what do you want for Christmas? What do you really, not just want for Christmas, but what do you really want out of life? Whatever it is that you really, really want, that you really, really desire, that you really, really think is ultimate, the truth is that behind that desire, the only way we can get it is from this child. What a wonderful gift that is. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord God, we give you thanks and praise for the, the, the faithful seeking of the Magi. And so might we learn from them to seek you wherever we are with earnest hearts. And God, might we learn from them what it is to, to, to offer you genuine worship. And Lord, might we also learn from them to receive from you every good and perfect gift. So God, let us, like them, follow you wherever you lead us. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.